yo, what up? It's your boy, Kobe Mac, and this is the Kobe Told Me Podcast. Yo, whenever I want to, back from vacation, deep dive with the Mac himself, where I get to amplify my movie reviews for your listening pleasure. It's Thursday, July 11th. The time of recording is 7.30 in the evening, and I'm back! Fresh off of a huge Euro trip. Got a chance to watch my best friend get married to the woman of his dreams. And I did it all with my woman of my dreams. My wife in crime, a.k.a. the Mrs. Mac. What an incredible time we had. 13 cities in 16 days. London, Paris, Costa Brava in Spain, Tamarillo, Lafranc, Naples, Rome, Florence, Pisa, Nice, Monaco, Monte Carlo, and Set. And if you want to check out my journey, I posted it all on my Facebook. So if we're not friends, send me a request at Kobe Mac on Facebook. If you're not following my movie review journey, please do so at Kobe Told Me on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, check out the website, KobeToldMe.com, for any and all written content. It was tough going this long without watching the movie, but I'm back home. I'm in the A, quickly getting back to doing what I do best. And I've got a lot of films to catch up on, so y'all better stay tuned. First up is Spider-Man Far From Home, the sequel to Spider-Man Homecoming, the sequel to like every other MCU movie, and so says Kevin Feige, the ending of Phase 3. It's funny that most of this movie was shot in Europe where I just was, so this seems like the universe is speaking to me, that this is my first movie review when I get back, and I get to let you know what's on my mind about it. And if being in Europe is a good thing or a bad thing. So, I'll see you on the other side. Okay, so we're 23 movies in and I think we all need to stop and take a pulse check on a few things to take into consideration with MCU films. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is praised for being a unique, critical, and box office success. It's an expansive, interconnected story that somehow balances hundreds of characters and decades of time passed between them, and for the most part, it works. The drive to have the film and TV projects working together failed to manifest in the way they initially thought it would, but it's still kind of there, and it's kind of something that's not really talked about. With the MCU's success culturally and how impactful it is, its cinematic legacy, it has a lot of grace with audiences and critics too, meaning we're likely to forgive some things in an MCU film that we wouldn't necessarily do for others. Not saying that's the case for everyone, but I know I've seen evidence of it. Sometimes it's not so explicit. On the other hand, I believe a standard has been set for these films and the bar has been raised, so many of the recent films in the MCU, whether fair or not, can be judged a bit more critically. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, when you go to a fancy restaurant with a famous name attached to it, you have an expectation set to have met when you dine there. If you go to McDonald's, you also have an expectation set, and for different reasons, you know what you're getting, and it may or may not be met, and you just take the meal for what it is. The MCU, for the most part, are sequels. They're all spawned from 2008's Iron Man, and while solo films featuring debut characters that are injected and should be digested on their own, it's hard not to take into account the films that came before it, or what's on the slate after it. Like, how does the effect 
of these films? Like, how does knowing what came before and what comes after it, how does it affect the stakes? What are the consequences to our heroes' actions? Now, I consider for some films, not all, the full production, pre and post. The marketing, mainly the trailer, as a part of the product that sets and informs my expectations. Not all critics do this. But this is how I do things. There's a unique discussion about expectations with films I'm dying to get into. But for right now, I believe when your expectations aren't met, that can lead to a negative impression of the film you just watched. Now, who's to say if that's fair or not? It's a feeling you may or may not have. And if you feel it, you feel it. I know in several MCU films, the intentional misdirections, the marketing that aren't substantial to the plot have negatively impacted me in the expectations department. However, that can be redeemed in other areas of the filmmaking process, the, the plot, the character engagement, the action, etc. Also, when a film is released in relation to the previous film's narrative, the ending can do the same thing. Like, for example, with Spider-Man Far From Home, it had a difficult job of being a split production between two studios, right? So you got Sony, you got Marvel. It had to be a successful sequel to Spider-Man Homecoming. A sort of epilogue to one of the greatest sagas in cinematic history with Avengers Endgame and set the stage for where the MCU and Sony looks to move forward. That's a tall order. It's an even taller order when you take into consideration the emotional weight attached to Avengers Endgame and how little time has passed between the two films. I mean, it's been... A little over two months, and that's not a lot of time to breathe. I mean, you're trying to start something new, and I just feel like that could be part of the reason why Far From Home may have been screwed from the jump. So after the events of Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man, Tom Holland, he must step up to take on new threats in a world that has changed forever, or so we're told. Or that's what the trailers wanted you to believe. I'm going to do my best at being respectful to this film and the films before it in regards to spoilers. For a very brief moment. Then I'm going to spoil the shit out of this. (laughs) The events preceding Far From Home and Avengers Endgame, they left us with a shattered team of heroes reveling in their bittersweet victory against the Mad Titan Thanos that resurrected half of existence throughout the universe, but it came at a great cost. Lives were lost and... A world must put itself back together some way, somehow. Alright, so that's the non-spoiler. I'm about to spoil the shit out of Endgame and this movie. How does the world move on? (laughs) Okay, you gotta understand. Endgame... Endgame was great, right? So, we had five years where half of life in the entire universe was gone. And now I'm just supposed to believe that we did just the world puts itself back together again in eight months like what i love most about avengers endgame is the emotional and dramatic first act for some people that really didn't really didn't affect them in that way but i thought it was unique it's the first time that we get to experience what life is like in a superhero movie where the heroes lose i'm not saying it far from home you gotta make the entire film just about the aftermath but like a decent chunk of it should focus on the challenges of life after after for some reason this film decides to like create this silly little high school video clip um, with whatever that kid dude's name is and with Betty where they kind of shrink the snap and they, they call they call the people coming back a blip it's really stupid in my opinion I, I, 
but like <laughs> but the, it, essentially it's like this little two minute video where they try to explain what happened and all this stuff it's very convenient that all the central characters of the story didn't get snapped but they kind of have to say you know what we have to make it seem like there's some weight to how people came back and i don't get the whole 16 to 20 year old thing and there's i guess there's 21 year olds still in, I, I don't know i don't know <laughs> it really just it turned me off so quickly and early in the film it's got to work really really hard to try to gain back some of the confidence that i had in it going so you got several students in midtown high school science class including peter parker aka our friendly neighborhood spider-man take a summer trip to europe i got no idea where this school in queens somehow or manhattan has the money left over to send kids to europe and who the hell would want to send their kids to europe on a vacation after some of them at least the ones we care about just came back to life <laughs> hey mommy dad hey um my science class is going on a summer vacation to europe i don't know what the fuck that has to do with science and i'm gonna go sure son haven't seen you in five years but have fun fuck out of here <laughs> it's a little quick for me a little quick for leisure if you ask me I mean, it's been eight months since the Hulk snap, which is now being called the blip and whatever. You know, it's summertime and, and Peter, he's ready to decompress a bit and enjoy time with his friends across the pond and hope to give his spidey duty some much needed time off. Unfortunately, Nick Fury, Samuel L. Jackson and new threats have different plans in mind. While in Europe, Peter is visited by the pseudo-dead former S.H.I.E.L.D. director who enlists his help to thwart the destructive paths of elemental monsters who have already destroyed one Earth will be damned if that same fate will bestow on theirs. You heard that right, folks. Another Earth. Quentin Beck, Jake Gyllenhaal, has arrived from that destroyed Earth to help what's left of this Earth's mightiest heroes defeat these new foes. A gift from beyond the grave is delivered to Peter to aid in his superhero journey, but comes with a lot of responsibility he's unsure if he's ready for. So his focus is on his pursuit of MJ, Zendaya's affection, and it seems at every turn another obstacle gets in the way. Peter makes a naive decision to re-gift what he's been given to Quentin, now known to the world as Mysterio, who appears to be better equipped to handle an Iron Man-sized mantle to defend the world from any threats before it needs avenging. Yo, that came together real nice, right? Like, on paper, this narrative seems straightforward. That's not necessarily the case. As stated before, a lot of what makes an MCU film successful may or may not hinge on events and films that precede it. In this case, Far From Home must emotionally pay off the devastation and the correction, the blip, in Endgame. In my opinion, it doesn't. It glosses over and cheapens many of the events in that movie that make... Now, keep in mind, Endgame is my number one film of the year. At the same time, it trots out a story that is inconsequential. I feel like there's more emotional and character growth at the end of Spider-Man Homecoming or in Infinity War when Peter, for Peter, than in this film. I mean, the script is problematic in regards to its tone. It, it misses the mark and, and for some reason it kind of misunderstands who Spider-Man is at his core. The battle is trying to do something different and I get it. It's a risk in my opinion, to remove Spider-Man from New York. It's been that way for decades, and, and mostly, most of the time, it doesn't work. It has in some runs, but in most of the comic book runs, when you remove Spider-Man out of New York, things don't go so well. I mean, when you try to translate a Spidey story to the brick screen, and you get the scale right, it can be fantastic when it works. You get it wrong, and it can be frustrating. 
probably as frustrating as having our protagonist constantly exclaim over and over again throughout the movie how he doesn't want this life and he wants to be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I just want to be on vacation. I don't want to take my suit. I just want to be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. All right, we get it. So do that. Give us a story that still deals with the passing of the torch and incorporates the villain you want with the backdrop being New York and sprinkle some, some Europe stuff in there. Like, remember in Dark Knight? Like, what I love about Batman is that it's Gotham that's central to who he is, but the Dark Knight was able to take this Gotham-centric story and then send him over to pick up a bad guy so you kind of make this feel bigger, you get the scope of what he's capable to do, but then bring him back. That's the type of sprinkle that I'm talking about. And honestly, why are we so obsessed with trying to force Spider-Man to take a torch that he doesn't want? Like, I get that Marvel really wants Spider-Man back, but forcing this in your film just doesn't feel right. Now, I'm not a super comic buff, but what I gather is that Spider-Man is a solo act and typically doesn't lead teams, and if he does, it's for very short runs. In a world of gods and monsters, Spider-Man is a teenage boy where if you run the risk of making his world too big, that means you have to spend too much time in your script plugging up the holes in a world that could respond and should. Like, we literally just had a whole movie with everyone in it. There's adults and more than capable of defending the world. This dumb script with Nick Fury and Maria Hill somehow back to work. I don't, I don't know where they pulled the money out to start assembling a team and, and doing stuff, but whatever, right? So they're telling Spider-Man that no one's available. Why the fuck not? <laughs> like, like, was there another snap that we don't know about? Spider-Man's like, uh, why don't you get Thor? He's off-world. My ass he is. Captain Marvel, don't invoke her name. Bitch! <laughs> okay, little Captain Marvel rant. Captain Marvel wasn't as bad as the trolls made it. And the damn sure wasn't because of Brie Larson. I love Brie Larson. I thought what she did, what she was told to do, she did very well. Alright? But what we're not gonna do is make Captain Marvel some godlike figure like we can't speak her name. Fuck you! Okay? <laughs> like, if that was the case, alright? Why didn't Nick Fury use his goddamn beeper the first time. He didn't use it in New York. He didn't use it in DC. He didn't use it in Sokovia. Stop trying to make Captain Marvel the it girl. Let her become the shit on her own. If she's that badass, she would just be able to come up and just be it, right? So now back to possible candidates that can do what Spider-Man doesn't want to do. Captain America gave his shield to Sam. He's Falcon America. Where's he at? Winter somewhere. Where's he at? You got Wanda. Wanda erring around with the powers capable of destroying an Infinity Stone. Yo, she's a nuclear weapon. Don't nobody know where she at? Doctor Strange, we consider getting the dude involved whose sole job is guarding the Earth from forces outside or in and across the multiverse. Like, he has been to different dimensions in different worlds. So if that's the premise of this whole thing, why not get the dude who's based in New York? to take care of that. Black Panther. War Machine, he ain't dead. AKA, he's a silver Iron Man. You still got the Hulk, he got one arm. Valkyrie is the king of New Asgard, which is in Maine, which is in America. Ant-Man and Wasp, like that's a dozen heroes, not counting the ones on Netflix that can do the job you're trying to press upon an adolescent team. And that's the thing, like the best parts of Far From Home is his adolescence. The teenage kind of John Hughes angst, that works. 
Except in this film, when it happens around this kind of chaotic set pieces, it's a jerky narrative that goes back and forth and it gets the tone wrong. So make him adult, make him a kid, make him adult, but he's a kid. Let him be a kid. This film plays more like an Ant-Man movie that's trying to be an Avengers movie. It tries to make everything too big. The directorial choice to lead our characters in this way creates hurdles that are unnecessary and produces a film that feels the same way. Unnecessary. So at the end of the day, though, you can appreciate Tom Holland and Zendaya's individual performances and their chemistry together. Like, it's great. They get the quintessential teen awkwardness and it's cute and it really works. We see a natural progression to, of their relationship that adds to Peter's story. His emotional maturity is tested both in his pursuit of MJ and now he deals with the death of Tony Stark. Let's get into the specter of Iron Man just for a little bit. Like, So this better be the last remnant of Stark on this Spider franchise because this is like Iron Man 10. Like if you really want to think about it, like this dude is almost half of the MCU and Tony related and that's cool and all you realize he shitted on so many people and his designs and toys constantly create more problems than solutions like in Iron Man he makes and designs weapon that the bad guys have to hold up and ultimately fights against Iron Monger Iron Man 2 it's whiplash and that's kind of like Iron you know Tony Stark technology and then you know in Avengers you got the Stark Tower that's used as a catalyst to be able to open up the wormhole for Thanos Ultron the, the, the therapy glasses Edith these glasses that seem like it was a throwaway thing are now, I don't want to say the MacGuffin of this film, but it's a major plot device to kind of move everything forward. And the, the crazy acronym, acronym, because he was obsessed with Edith. Even dead, I'm the hero. Come on, man. Like, you're the hero at being a dick. You've been a dick so much to people that people still want to come after you when you're dead. He constantly has disgruntled former employees who just want to destroy his legacy. This dude saved the universe. Like, I was snapped. Whatever hard feelings I had against you, bro, you brought me back to life. <laughs> I think we're good. But like, for real, a lot of the characters outside of Tony Stark, they were good. Like, you got Ned, Jacob Batalon, and Betty, and Gory Rice. They they tried for some of that, uh, that Peter and MJ affection, and actually, they consummate a cute relationship, but it's cute at first. And then it begins to stop working and wears off pretty quick. The joke kind of runs out. Then you have other characters like Flash, Tony Revolori. They just stop working all together. Um, he worked really good in Homecoming, but here, yo, this thing, we don't need two dickheads in the same movie who hate Peter Parker. Like, that whole bus scene is whack. Like, I feel like I've watched that before. Like, I think when I watched the Spy Kids movie, matter of fact, I I swear, if I go back and watch Spy Kids 2 and I see Junie pull off that same fly-through-the-bus-hatch move, I'm gonna lose my shit. Flash pretty much reverts to, like, a Joe Manganiello, early Raimi interpretation that is only around for a gag, and just when you think there's a layer of something great about to happen, it falls on the ground and never be explored further and comes across weird in the end. Then you got Mysterio and Nick Fury. And they're both a bit peculiar. Like, Mysterio, for those that read the comics or watched the animated series growing up, you know he's a principal Spider-Man villain. So when his character makes a distinct choice, that turn is only satisfying for an audience that has no idea who he is. Once again, the universe is interdependent on things that came before it. And in this instance, not just preceding films, but the comic book source material. 
So what's his plan, right? We know, we know, you, you listen to me. I know he's a bad guy. How's this all gonna work out? What's the what's the overall plan, right? To be a fake superhero and shit on dead Tony Stark? Come on. I'd have much rather had it be for like riches and world domination. That cliche trope, that probably would have worked way better than what we got in this film. Like, first off, I guess they weren't snapped. And if they were, like, this plan had to be in works for It's a very convoluted plan. I mean, so much so they had to tell you about it. Like, how? The fact that he had to stop, pause, and maybe the director didn't trust the audience to get what was going on, and reveal everybody's individual <laughs> accomplishments with inside of this huge plan that apparently took place either over the span of eight months or I don't know. That whole time, it, it, that's the reverse engineering thing that I'm talking about. That when you're already not sold on things happening in the film, when this mustache twirling scene happens, you almost just want to rip your hair out, but I'm bald, all right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm all down for new interpretations, but when events happen to shape a character's choices, you get these intentions coming a mile away. You see everything happening, and it's just frustrating. Jake Gyllenhaal is reduced to a cliche, mustache twirling bad guy, and he gives you this weird expedition dump, and you just roll your eyes in the back of your head. Now, Jake does the best he can with what's written, and somehow he does manage to make the overall character work for how Marvel wants the Spider-Man story to progress. That doesn't mean it works to great effect for the audience. Damn sure not for me. Mysterio is far from Killmonger or Thanos, and he's closer to Talos from Captain Marvel. Funny enough, that brings me to Nick Fury, and I'll get to the Talos thing a little bit later. Jackson reprises his role for the umpteenth time, and... Most recently, he seems to be phoning it in. Now, I'm not sure if it's the way he's been written or his acting choices, but the cool, calculated Nick Fury who is always one step ahead with something up his sleeve like in the end of Iron Man or Iron Man 2 or Winter Soldier, he seems to be a bit feebler and without direction. Like, who the hell does this dude report to now? Where does he get his funding? Like, he's got S.H.I.E.L.D. agents with him. They just keep appearing. But, like, does he not know that Coulson's still alive? What, like, what branch is S.H.I.E.L.D. now? There's, like, several different iterations of S.H.I.E.L.D. There's Dark S.H.I.E.L.D., there's Coulson S.H.I.E.L.D., but they don't intersect. Like, hold up! Aren't you dead? <laughs> like, there's a lot of people that know you're alive. Why do you just keep showing up? Like, it, what are you doing just taking the word of some random superhero you ain't never heard of about the multiverse and elementals? Like, come on, you're better than that! So you knew about the Edith glasses and you still intended to give it to a 16-year-old. And fuck that cat! Stupid flirking. That really bothered me. I'm sorry. Like, I really was hoping for, like, a really dope story on how he lost his eye. Stupid cat. Like, there appears to be... Now, there does appear to be an explanation in the end credits of this film for... What could be affecting Fury. But I contend that that further complicates things and cheapens them, too. There is a big Scrolls problem in the MCU, and things haven't gotten better. They're kind of shoehorned in the moment they were able to play with some of them. And they can be a big problem if they were allowed to try and fix the things from previous films past. Like a leaky boat, you cover up one hole, it could cause another. So right now, the scrolls are far from what we got in the comics. And I've got no idea what they're trying to do. And that ending scene is 
that much more frustrating. Like the consequences of building a story that's interconnected with so many things happening before and then adding conflict that reverse engineers many of the events of the construct to a new narrative and then do it bad, it's unnerving. But then again, these are superhero stories, which have been told for decades. So I'm not asking for the wheel to be reinvented or saying that we can't have stories be trot out again and again. At this point, it's kind of hard not to. Like I stated earlier, I'll give grace to this franchise when it does something similar and it really works. When it doesn't, it's a big turnoff and it gets a harsher critique for it. Now, if there are more connecting points cinematically or sequences kinetically to overcome the script, I'd be all in. Like, I love the lead of Battle Angel for that reason. It was because of the stunning visuals, the graphics, and that hyper-action and stunt choreography that helped drown out the malaise of the script. Now, what I'm not saying is that there was no action in the story. Just too little for me, even though some of the scenes were large in scale. Maybe that's it. Maybe they were too big and... When you understand the intentions behind it, I just wasn't sold. However, there was a really super dope kind of coming into Spider-Man's power set that played out amazingly well. Like, Peter, uh, they don't call it a spider sense, they call it a, a Peter tingle. And when he fully realizes his tingle, this sounds dirty, but it's not. Like, it's shot really, it looks great. Peter's like waxing these drones ass and it's it's fast, but it's, it's a little bit too short. And I wish there was a tighter shot on Peter kind of going full tingle like a Super Saiyan would have. And it would have been so much doper. And then the illusions that, oh my God, yo, the illusions that the Mysterio does, it's, it would have been great if like, instead of him pretending to be a good guy and then kind of giving the twist for him to have been the bad guy set in New York the entire time. And for Peter to kind of sleuth his way to figuring out who Mysterio is and then kind of that uncovering the villain, that would have been so much stronger. Like a lot of this film is about what we choose to believe, that that's how Mysterio uses these illusions. And ultimately his plan in this film is using what people believe about heroes to his gain and believing in the things around you, believing in others and ultimately believing in yourself. Thematically, the film is pretty strong. Peter goes on a journey of self-discovery all while in the shadow of one of Earth's greatest heroes, Iron Man. Now, he makes mistakes along the way, but he quickly learns from them. That's, that's Peter's greatest superpower. His intellect. His, he's not perfect, and he's still very much a kid, yet his penchant for seeing the good in others could be problematic, but it's his power to see the good in himself that shines through. Far From Home tackles the themes well, even if it's a bit wonky in how it gets there. It has problems in tone, and I, I feel it still cheapens the emotional impact of Endgame while it lazily slaps together a plot that badly reverse engineers the narrative to seem clever. The film, however, is somewhat saved by Tom Holland's strong performance in a thrilling third act. Like, the third act really did pick up a lot of the things that frustrated me in the first and second. He's got some dope action, good CG, Peter Tingle. This doesn't necessarily feel like a closing of Phase 3 or a solid setting up of the MCU going forward, in my opinion, but it does bolster strong themes that Peter's tackles, and it makes it an okay sequel. Now, originally, I had this film ranked at a 5, but damn it, I, I think I may have sold myself on a film that was not good. I'm now calling it fine slash okay, so... Kobe told me rating is a 6 out of 10. 
Directed by John Watts. Writers is Chris McKenna. It stars Tom Holland, Samuel L. Jackson, Jake Gyllenhaal, Marissa Tomei, John Favreau, Zendaya, Jacob Batalon, Tony Revolori. The runtime is 129 minutes. That's rated PG-13. another one in the books it feels real good to get back into the swing of things see what i did there that was an unintentional pun swing of things spider-man hey the mac is not your typical movie critic i completely reserve the right to change my mind and do whatever the hell i want with my rankings and i gotta be honest film twitter a lot of the social media sites in which i post my reviews y'all have been great like get a lot of shit from my reviews either my audience is too small or people are just super duper respectful and i will say i originally ranked spider-man far from home at a five now people go check out on all my handles i will completely update and show you guys how i rank my films one through ten there are no half points i originally ended up somewhere between a five and a six when i first saw the film but i was completely open especially as i digested new things i'm looking at different points that I'm, you know, kind of, you know, tackling my written review that I reserve the right to have something be flushed out that maybe shows me a little bit more positivity and surprisingly Alita Battle Angel and Rogue One and the themes inside of this film to help me elevate it to a six. And that's cool. So it's been revised. Stop being so absolute. Film digestion and critique is fun, and that's what I do it for. It's fun. I love talking about movies, and believe me, y'all gonna get a whole bunch of me talking because I got a lot to catch up on. I just knocked out Spider-Man Far From Home. You just got it. I just saw Midsummer. Ari Aster, you genius, you. Like, and please, the, the marketing. Ah, I'm gonna talk about it. The marketing is. I won't say it deceives you, but this it's it's not a typical horror movie. So if you haven't seen it, please do. And if you have seen it, be on the lookout for my review. It's gonna be coming out very, very, very soon. Um, I'm about to go catch out Stupid Night with uh, Dave Batista and Camille Nanjiani. Yo, I'm really excited for it. I'm, I love comedies and I would love to be able to laugh and hope I hope it's pretty good. I'm gonna check out Yesterday Tomorrow, Last Black Man in San Francisco. Um, I gotta be able to try to uh, catch some of the horror movies. Annabelle um, comes home and. Child's Play. Yo, I'm super behind. So y'all are about to get a lot of podcasts. And I really, really hope that y'all enjoyed it. I love being back with you. Uh, get at your boy on all my socials. Kobe told me on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Kobe Mac on Facebook. Check out uh, my uh, my hero chick if you want to. That'd be really, really dope. But always remember when they ask you where you heard it from, tell them Kobe told